0: there is a huge emphasis on hospitality and inclusion. Service, relationships, making people feel welcome. You know, it really is what the watch buying experience is supposed to be about. And and some of the contrasts that we've had over the years is that hilarity. And David and I have just endlessly laughed about this, where the whole point of luxury is supposed to be like, come to our store, be treated well, and we're going to make you feel good. If you don't buy something, we're going to make you feel good. Whereas you meet with them on a commercial basis, at a trade show, and like, inevitably you feel like crap leaving. (laughs) Like, like getting to the meeting feels awful. After the meeting, you're like, what the hell was that? And so it's always this huge contrast. And here we are at this show. And I think what the Siddiqui family is trying to do is replicate that warm, feeling that you're supposed to have in this show and, and I think that's why there's a general high level of esteem. Being
1: Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. It's a special because Ed and Ariel are in Dubai. It's also special because they're getting to enjoy a little bit of Scottish weather in Dubai because currently show cancelled due to rain so it's as well Omega aren't exhibitors because all their speed masters would currently be underwater but other than that Ed, Ariel how are you enjoying it
0: so far? The term that I've been using is invigorating it's great to invigorating. be back. All right okay Ariel feels invigorated at a watch show wonders will never cease.
1: Ed how are you finding it?
2: I'm pretty tired our first day was really long we ended up uh, just seeing a lot of a lot of the exhibitors and yeah just strangely ended up being a very long day so i'm pretty tired but i'm the same i'm very excited to be here it's my first
1: time at dubai watch week so yeah i'm pretty stoked great stuff david how are you enjoying home
3: I'm, I guess you could say, devigorated, if there's such a
1: thing. Devigorated. Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm currently building a house, otherwise it'd be out there, but I'm currently imagining a load of brickies, so it's (laughs) not happening. Uh, It is, however, 5,922 days since we last sold a watch at a blog to watch, the magazine that's still a magazine, Uh, but you're out there at Dubai Watch Week, which is hosted by... A very large retailer, Ariel, why don't you just tell everybody what
0: is Dubai Watch Week, first of all? So, Ahmed Siddiqui & Son is a very important uh, company in the UAE, and their biggest business is the sale of luxury watches. They have a number of stores, and they have their hands in a number of interests. But uh, several years ago, uh, they decided to start Dubai Watch Week. Um, It has since expanded beyond just the brands uh, that they carry. And there's a lot of important um, figures from the watch industry here. I mean, um, Rolex is, of course, officially showing as is Tudor. People from Patek Philippe are are in town walking around. So this this is the place to be. Uh, for the watch industry. This is the sixth edition. Um, It's really a combination of a consumer event where very wealthy locals from both the UAE and the surrounding territory come uh, to buy watches. Uh, There's a lot of media here, international media, and it's a networking event. So it combines a lot of things, and we do everything from attend discussions where uh, the latest trends and and happenings are discussed. We see new watches, uh, we photograph them, we do interviews, and we spend a lot of time with colleagues and also seeing what the collectors are into. So it's a very valuable event for us. And even though we're here for a long time, pretty much every minute is full
1: great stuff now uh, we're speaking this morning we've rescheduled slightly because as I trailed a moment ago the event is currently on hiatus because of flooding in Dubai <laughs> they really needed some Scot- they needed some Scottish people involved in the planning we
0: would have planned this so that rain would not have I, I have to explain you know, something spoil here the event <laughs> a couple of Dubai watch weeks ago there was a significant amount of rain. And the issue as I understand it is Dubai in large parts was designed without drainage. So even though by Scottish standards, this is like the lightest drizzle ever. I mean, it rained for like an hour, maybe, right? The We wouldn't even have put jackets on. Not even jackets. We, we, we
1: would still be out in t shirts. So I mean, the, be the fair, main area is flooded.
0: <laughs> no, no, but I'm saying it wasn't a drizz- by Scottish standards, it would be a drizzle. <laughs> the, oh yeah. So the main area is literally under some water and i remember years ago when they, when this would happen there was this army of workers with basically giant squeegees and they had to like push the water out of the way because of course the 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 stone surface was also very slippery so it was kind of comical yeah. because there's all these people there in their sort of luxury attire slipping and sliding around <laughs> and and i'm pretty <laughs> sure that's why so there's no more rain right now all there is uh-huh. is a situation where um, we have to sort of wait for the, uh, I don't know, the the squeegee workers to do their thing.
1: I mean, this is bear in mind that I live in a country that invented a game that takes place outside in the summer, which doesn't really exist, that lasts five days in the form of cricket. So we know how to deal with (laughs) uh, large amounts of water ruining sporting and other events. I still reckon, David, I think that it's all a bit of a scam. I reckon it's all a bit of a scam, and this is just the opening sequence to the plot of Ocean's 15 or whatever it is, and actually what's going on is there's really a heist in place just now I was, what do you reckon david i was
3: thinking about something rather more preposterous than that something like along the lines of monty python's royal society for putting things on other things or something like that it's you know <laughs> people slipping around in luxury uh, clothing and stuff and trying to get rid of water in the middle of a desert is is is, is more like monty python <laughs> but maybe it's oceans too i guess if it's ariel and that, you guys are planning anything
0: um we, we can't right. we can't disclose oh those
1: plans david <laughs> Oh, well, this airs later. I mean, you can. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be out the country, but then you'll be back home or on your non-extradition treaty country, Ed, by the time this airs, so you'll be all right. (laughs) And me and David have evidence that we're in our respective countries. We're not in Dubai. Anyone
0: with with the combined interest in horology and kleptomania should try to avoid this event because it's going to be too too appealing i mean the (laughs) amount of nice watches just sort of hanging around just the diamonds everywhere like it's it's if you have that compulsion stay away from dubai watch week (laughs)
1: Uh, now obviously you had to get out to dubai and we do occasionally play the uh a blog to watch watches watches did you see anything on your in-flight films that was appealing it's mostly who's in the plane
0: the people in the plane have more interesting watches than none of the movies
1: yeah, so what did you see? What's 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 been on the streets so far? I've I haven't seen this
2: many Richard Meals in a long
1: time.
2: <laughs> I think if we made a pie chart of watches that we've seen, I think Richard Meal would take a disproportionate slice of that pie.
1: And are they at the show? No.
2: Uh yeah. <laughs> oh, no, not at the show, but they,
1: the, no, wa- the w-
0: people
2: wearing the watches are at the show.
1: Uh-huh, at the show. So <laughs> everyone's at the show
0: wearing the one watch that isn't at the show. It's a very Rolex-heavy time right now as mm-hmm. well. Obviously, that's been something you know over the last couple of years It's had a huge amount of, uh, of notoriety. But you also see things that you don't really see that much in America, like a lot of Ulysses Nardons and things like that. Hmm. So fun, Puzzle well, Dial in the wild. Okay. I haven't seen that on the wrist of somebody, actually
1: so cool and before your first day of the show were you both at the mbnf hm 11 that no, was just ariel just ariel so tell us a little bit about this watch because this is actually on the website before we delve more into dubai watch week itself this just i'm, I'm i mean i don't want to say i'm getting tso vibes in terms of here's a watch that tells you the temperature of your wrist i'm just curious
0: as to it's got a <laughs> thermometer on it. Uh, why? Okay, so the the theme of the orological machine number 11 is architecture. Mm-hmm. It's called the architect. And the idea was that Max Booster and his team was inspired by like certain futuristic forms of 1960s and 1970s architecture. And the watch is meant to look like a little building with rooms. And there's sort of four sides to it. And they just wanted to put a thermometer in there. Um, why? I don't know. Buildings have thermometers. They hadn't done it before. <laughs> there was a whole story about how they had to find like the one German supplier that would be willing to make the small enough parts for a mechanical thermometer because there's like, you know, no market demand anywhere for this. And during the presentation, uh, it was mentioned, oh, and it it takes the temperature of the, you know, the, it's not just the temperature of your wrist. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I, I, I follow up and I was like, So how exactly does it not take the temperature of your wrist?
1: And that's why watch brands love you. Because every time they say something, you're like, well, hold on a second. I'm going to challenge that claim.
0: So uh, I think we sort of like agree that somewhere in the middle because the watch is slightly (laughs) elevated above your wrist. The the, the lug Mm. structure means that the case isn't totally touching your wrist. And we kind of said, well, it's a temperature that's somewhere between your body temperature. So yes, they, they admitted readily that for a correct reading you should take the watch off of your wrist and, you know, let it sit for a few minutes while it sort of, you know, gets the, the ambient temperature. So I, I it's fun looking. I think the funnier thing was that they actually decided to make both a centigrade and Fahrenheit version. Mind you, there's only fifty of these right, watches. Really? So uh-huh. there's no specific allocation of Fahrenheit ones and they they went into it and they were like yeah and if you wanted to have it, switch it you can send it back to us and recalibrate it god knows what that costs but like so much to do about the, the about the, the you know the thermometer scale when again as you sort of correctly pointed out like this is going to be like the least used feature but they spent i think like a solid 15 minutes talking about it <laughs>
1: I just like the idea that you take off your $230,000 watch, put it on the table in front of you at McDonald's just to reach ambient temperature because there's never been any risk involved for you take expensive watches off and put them on table. And then the conclusion is, yeah, I'm cold.
0: (laughs) 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 It is hot in here. Who thought of that? Is it any
1: better than just licking the end of your finger and sticking it in the air?
0: Um, it's a cool looking indicator and there's that little, you know, the little little coil in there. So, I mean, look, it's, we're, we're, we're talking about mechanical art, right? You know, if you want yes. a tool watch, then, you know, maybe, maybe the Tissot that we're talking about is going to be a slightly better option. It's less than a T-Touch. But it makes for a great conversation, <laughs> you know, Sether so Thermometer Well, will let me tell you.
1: It's a thermometer and it costs you
0: $230,000. Yeah. I mean, do you actually like it? Oh, yeah. It's a very pretty watch. It looks cool. I like it. It sort of has this sort of symmetry to it. it kind of looks like a little flower on the wrist. It's comfortable. Um, it's fun to turn it, right, to spin it around. And I, It's a fidget spinner, isn't it? Well, it, it doesn't spin freely. It has eight positions. And so I asked them, I was like, so how many times do you turn it before you has to be serviced? And they looked at me like, oh, God, <laughs> Ariel. I was like, you didn't stress test this thing? They're like, no, we didn't IKEA stress test it. <laughs> I'm like
1: <laughs> give it to me, I like here stress test for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that's a legitimate question, you know, but you know, look a, 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 what your MB and F is going to um uh, visit the MB&F manufacturer from time to time for a little bit of a medical love. I think that's, that's the consensus. Anytime you have one of these high end complicated watches that, you know, they actually fare a lot better. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the unwritten rule is you get these watches with these, you know, highly, highly exotic bespoke movements and things like that. Mm. After a couple of years, you know, there's a reason they make a lot of spare parts and, um, you know, they'll send you pictures of the watchmakers, you know, with, you know, <laughs> bending over the desk, servicing your watch. They have yeah. a little service to it.
1: Well, I mean, bear in mind, it's only 20 meters water resistant. All of them, if they're present at Dubai watch, have probably been ruined in the last hours. Oh, I asked hours. about that as well. Because, you know, it's rained, which is one thing if you can avoid, but then it's going to get to like 45 degrees or something. And it's just going to be the most humid anywhere has ever been on planet Earth.
2: Maybe that's the real scheme of the rain today. That MBNf engineered the weather to stress test their new HM11 at
0: Dubai Watch Week, and it's yeah. all Does just it a secret up? experiment. A little building fog up inside? You know.
1: <laughs> well, then, then you have to spin it in order to get all the moisture out. Right. That's the idea. It's like a tumble dryer.
0: Boy, it's like we're designing dryer. the next version for them.
1: We are. I, I, listen, for thousand dollars I think you should be allowed to send this back in to have whatever the mechanism is removed so that it does does just freely spin. Uh, a bit but that's how you wind it. it.
0: That's how you wind it. The whole point is you need to wind it that way. Oh, is that how it's wound? I yeah. didn't think that. Yeah. So right, it's, okay. It's the, the, there's a lot of issues. So they have this crazy crown. So that's actually my one... Thing I think they should have changed. And that's actually the issue with the water resistance is it has a crown and because the mm-hmm. crown's big and the way it's designed had a complicated gasket system. It's like, why don't you just have a function selector? Why do you mm-hmm. even have to have a crown? Have a little pusher that...
1: Yes, Max, why? Why, Max, Why? <laughs> I just dis- I discussed it with
0: them. They agreed it was, you know, not a, not a terrible idea. But, it, you know, it goes to show that there's always more things you can do. But, I mean, they admitted there's going to yeah. be more versions of this in the future. They're not just going to be, you know, new materials. Both of these are in mm-hmm. titanium. Um, I guess what I liked about this is this was the return of the... Um, uh, the the MBNF, which really makes you sort of think, right? Like all these questions, like this is good. This is good for the brand. They like this type of discussion. For a number of years, I think that they put some of this wildness aside, and we're really trying to make, uh, I guess, call a retailer. Um, retailer watches that respond to the market, you know, slightly more limited editions of, of more colors and more um, versions of existing watches because there was demand for it. And, and now this is Max Booster saying, you know what, I'm just going to make something totally crazy. I don't really care if people like it or not. And, and you know, he, he himself, he knows, he knows uh, good watches. He knows good taste. And so, um, you know, he's one of those people you can, you can generally trust with with coming out with a, a, attractive designs that are, are, are highly thought provoking.
1: David, what do you think of this and anything else you've seen so far appear on the interwebs with regards to Dubai Watch Week been appealing so far? There's not. I don't think there's a load of new releases, but obviously there's some bits and pieces being promoted, likes of Residence, etc., and others. Anything you've seen so far? Yeah, certainly. I think, you know,
3: uh, MBNF has just owned this. They've stolen the show for sure with the HM11 architect. Um, you know, and nothing else matters at this point, I guess you could say. Uh, we'll say maybe some cool new releases. I, To be honest, I have not seen anything that would that would even remotely uh, be able to match uh, the HM11 this far.
1: So what is the vibe at the moment? You guys, you gentlemen, have arrived at Dubai. The watch world is not without its controversies and happenings, the likes of the Rolex takeover of Bucherer, the stuff with Only Watch. We've not touched on it on the show, but everything that's happened in the auction world with some... Yeah, some interesting things in terms of uh, backed bids that seem to have cleaned out entire collections, uh, and not given anybody in the room the chance to actually bid for stuff. So, what is the chat? What's what's everybody focused on? Have you already been to some parties? Oh yeah, at night? oh yeah. What, what's the so, gossip? Come on, no, tell
0: us gossip. No one has talked at all about Rolex and all that. I mean, obviously in this region, you know. It's 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 a Siddiqui thing, so Bucharest really has no presence here, and really no one's talked about it at all. Um, the Only Watch conversation is something that I've brought up a lot, mainly because a lot of the Only Watch pieces are here, and so yes. we saw a lot of them. I think we've seen three or four of them at least. Um, you know, the uh, Constantine Chaikin Stargazer is probably the one that's the most incredible that I, I talked. I, I took some pictures of yesterday, and we'll do a hands on the Gerald Genta you know, uh, 100th anniversary of Disney with the Mickey Mouse, uh, like the birthday Mickey Mouse on there. That one I got to play with, which was <laughs> really, really cool. Um, so I, you know, and a B, with, with, with Mr. Biver, I, I sat with him. And of course, the Biver brand had their contribution as well. And I said to him, I was like, Jean-Claude, obviously, you're part of this. But if, if, if Only Watch had asked your advice, how do, how do you weather the storm? What, what would you say to them? And he thought about it, and I, maybe they did ask him for his advice. I don't know, but probably not. And, and he said, you know what? You have to just be transparent. Transparency is a thing. Just be honest, be open. He said that in his opinion, he doesn't think that they like did anything wrong right? in terms of like rule-breaking. I, I don't know what that means. There are obviously not a lot of rules in the Principality of Monaco when it comes to this reporting, so he might be technically right. Um, but I think that you know that he he makes a very good point because that's what people value these days. So there is a lot of disappointment here from the brands who feel that only watch kind of screwed them over. You know, someone like Chaikin, he really relies on uh, on the promotion that this offers. Like that's a big deal for him and and other brands do as well. That's that's the reason that they contribute and donate these one of a kind watches is for the promotional value. So when the promotional value goes, you know, from positive to negative, that's that's a really hard thing. So I think that actually most of the work that Only Watch has to do is with those brands um, and, and some, somehow trying to regain uh, their faith. Um, I think that people are upset that this is, you know, like the this, you know, postponement, indefinite postponements and all the open questions. And there's all these people with these amazing watches and they don't know what to do with them. You know, eventually they're going to want to sell them. And if, if Only Watch is postponed too long, uh, I, 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 and, and, and the watches sold elsewhere, that might actually spell the entire end of only watch i think it's that serious of a situation where this this again they could recover but if they don't do it correctly uh this could mean the end of only watch which would be a shame in my opinion
1: Mm. ed what have you picked up on the grapevine
2: uh kind of the same thing i mean as as far as only watch goes i only got to see one only watch piece and it was from a smaller brand but you know they were counting on checking and seeing what the reception to that watch was going to be from only watch and then make some decisions on production making it uh more of a regular production piece later on or something similar anyway but it was kind of their uh canary in the in the coal mine to try and gauge uh public reception to this piece so in that regard you know they're a little disappointed and uh you know rightfully so but um that's kind of the only thing i've heard so far about only watch specifically but yeah to Ario's point earlier i mean yeah very little talk about rolex they have uh quite a big booth here on site um neither of us have gotten to go inside and visit it but my understanding is it's just more of an exhibition there's not uh ariel there's no pieces in there right i think it's just more uh, presentation and maybe historical pieces but nothing that's uh being currently retailed
0: oh their booth is just uh it, it, it's a marketing thing it's like you go in there it's like welcome to the world of rolex and there's lots of you know historic pictures as ed said and I don't even know if there's actually any watches in there. Uh, the, the the Rolex thing here is mainly for the consumer guests. Rolex is uh-huh. not here for members of the industry. Uh, I would say most of the showings here definitely have a media component, but like Rolex and to a smaller degree Audemars Piguet, um, it's mostly about creating a, a hospitality site for locals, VIPs, and those who you know somehow haven't realized that Rolex is around. Mm.
1: Does it feel like there's very much two shows going on, like there is the high rollers being taken behind the curtain, and then everyone else who's just kind of registered because they're interested?
0: No, 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 no. It's all it's all very well mixed uh, as mm-hmm. far as it looks. I mean, yes, there are VIPs and things like that, but you know, this is a this is a region where there's a lot of discretion, and you know, obviously the Emiratis and other locals. Um, you know, to to the to the uneducated eye, they 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 look very similar in how they're dressed it's 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 designed so that people sort of don't look so showy you have to look very closely at sort of the their accessories like their watch and things like that so there's yeah. a there's a sort of uh, you know d- democracy to sort of how everyone's supposed to kind of look the same uh, but of course, there are high rollers there. There are people there, like, oh, oh, this is a big client. You know, I have to talk to you. People that come with their little entourages. So that that's here. But I would say that it's a very friendly, accessible environment. You feel like you could basically talk to anyone. And I think that's one of the reasons why people really love coming to Dubai Watch Week. Uh, well, the hot, hot of the press, the show is
1: going to reopen at two p.m. Dubai time. Yeah, yes. we got the
2: we go. got the notice.
1: You got the notification. <laughs> um, I
2: think I think it is pretty interesting. It is my first Dubai Watch Week, and you know know, have gone to watches and wonders basel world when it was still a thing sihh you know the swiss trade shows it is really interesting to see everyone here together at the same time which i i quite like um it's very inclusive uh like ariel is saying you've got people just strolling in and you i really can't tell who's who aside from obviously our fellow american media people um but otherwise you know you don't know who's here just you know a local who flew in who is retail or brand or whatever. Everyone's just here. Everyone's mingling. And I quite like that. It's, it's, it's a very different vibe. Uh, So in that regard, it's, uh, it's quite nice, but it is different in that the, the way the show is set up is that there's one main indoor area. That's kind of a long corridor uh, split into, and then the, the, the the brands are exhibiting there, uh, and they're quite a bit smaller than what you would see at somewhere like watches and wonders. And then outside of that area is, uh, There are the bigger brand booths that are quite much like the ones that we see uh, at Watches and Wonders. And so in that regard, it does feel like a little bit of a different show when you step inside to the building and then outside. Because then you go outside, you kind of walk around this courtyard area, and then there's these individual quite impressive uh, booths that have been set up by the likes of who Chopard, a P Rolex, uh, Bulgari, um, and then when you visit those uh, particular booths, uh, the experience is quite a bit different. Like I Chanel, also want to report. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Hmm. Yes, Chanel. I was <laughs> to Chanel, Chanel was quite particular about their rug for some strange uh, the reason. The the white carpet. Uh, oh
0: God. <laughs> Have you managed to follow up with anybody at Chanel yet, Ariel? Yeah, we had a meeting with them. Uh, we went. Oh, there. Yeah. We, I I put up with this this time, but I, just to remind people, in Watches and Wonders, Chanel had you know their booth and. Um, This is supposed to be a high traffic environment where you invite, you know, the thousands of people to come and uh, Chanel didn't want anyone to get their white carpet dirty. And I'm like, okay, I understand that you have a black and white theme, but could you just could you just lay off of like worrying about your carpet getting dirty? This is supposed to be a high traffic zone as it is. And so Chanel is one of those companies where you see this stark. (laughs) it's like I don't know it's like this conflict between like the luxury image and the practicality of you know human beings and it sort of just goes (laughs) to show that there are certain luxury brands that are I mean Chanel stuff is gorgeous it's beautiful but is it human accessible like I don't know that it is right like a lot of their watches it's almost as though they want to have the the museum of Chanel that's more important for them than this Mm -hmm. idea of anyone actually like being able to be accommodated into their space and and so it, it, it's amusing. And I, again, I I think their watches for men and women are, are, are utterly beautiful. But it's not a company that I think is particularly fun to interact with.
1: <laughs> mm. So who have you seen so far? Has there been anything that's taken your attention uh, yesterday as you wandered through the show?
0: You know, according to the Siddiquis, there's 20 watches which were debuted or will be debuted and actually they're not all debuted at the same time so there's watches that will be debuted tomorrow or the day after um, they try to stagger it out a little bit here um, there's been a long-standing history of brands making limited editions that are sold just at siddiqui um, of course mm-hmm. other regions around the world have picked this up but this has actually been much more historically common in the Middle East as opposed to say maybe the United States or something like that um, so even you know brands like doxa had a gorgeous limited edition for Siddiqui uh, and many others even even Siddiqui family themselves started a brand so uh, Mohammed Siddiqui no started a brand called vintage with a Y in there N- not the most creative name uh, but now you know now he's getting into it now this is a guy who's like an avid vintage Rolex you know uh, enthusiast and collector um, And now he decided to start his own brand. It's not super high-end. I think it's about like Louis Arard price. In fact, they already have Mm -hmm. a collaboration with Louis Arard (laughs) (laughs) already, uh, which is another brand which Siddiqui carries. So I I think what's most interesting to me is – compared to a couple of years ago there's more and more what we will call you know entry level or more pedestrian luxury brands uh you know Oris was probably the first one that came here I'm not even sure yeah I think they're here this year maybe not I'm not remember but like you know yeah, you're Oris seeing is here. a lot okay so Oris is here so you're seeing a lot of the um you know $10,000 or $5,000 and under brands uh showing up in addition to you know all the top-end stuff, you know, grubel forces, you know, diamond-studded uh all that stuff. And so I think that's what's interesting, is you're seeing the region being a little bit more interested in sport watches um, and, I would say, more sort of egalitarian uh, types of collector pieces. And so that's a very interesting evolution to see here.
1: What have you seen so far, Ed, that's taking your attention?
2: uh the doxa that Ariel mentioned that was really nice it's this really uh deep blue mother of pearl um and yeah it was just a really cool piece to see and yeah as you mentioned it's just interesting to come across pieces that are specifically sold through Siddiki because we don't often get to experience that via uh being a western uh mm-hmm. audience so that was cool um i saw a piece that is still under embargo so i can't really Talk about, it, I guess, but um, they're releasing it.
0: Thanks for bringing it up, Ed. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um,
2: well, I wasn't gonna name the brand, obviously, but um, yeah, they like partnered with a local local uh, Dubai artist, and it's quite cool. It's it's uh it's whimsical. It's a little bit more. I, I don't know that cartoony is the right word, although he kind of does, his aesthetic is a little bit more in kind of like sketch cartoons. Um, but it's quite cool. So that was one I saw. And then I saw a, a really nice uh, Baby Blue, uh, what references? I don't know. It was from Breitling. Um, mm-hmm. What's the one with their rouleau bracelet? What's that line? It's not the... Uh...
1: With the billet bracelets?
2: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was... Uh, the Cro- Yeah, the chronomat, yeah. Uh, it was really nice, um, but I really wanted to see some of the stuff that we hadn't gotten like fully hands on with so I went to Brightling specifically to see their um, the new Avenger and I wanted to see the the blacked out nighthawk version the chronograph so uh, mm-hmm. that was pretty fun to get hands on with but yeah aside from those so what did you make of the Avenger uh it's quite nice <laughs> I I really like it. I mean, I had tried on one of their previous uh, versions of the Avenger. Uh, I think it was still uh, called the Black Hawk 2 that they came out uh-huh. with what like maybe five, six years ago. Um, and I had tried that on previously, but that was a three hander um, and it just wore too big. it was it looked awesome, but I it wasn't something that I would consider wearing. but this one was really nice. I think it's 44 mil chronograph yeah, the Dow's real pretty and it just wears really nicely. So it was, it was fun to see that. Um, but I only got to see that black DLC, uh, version and not the ones in stainless. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of those things too, with all these boosts, it's very, it's not nearly as, um, orderly as I would, um, have expected for a trade show. It's a lot of, because we're there as media, but th- we're there with enthusiasts, uh, that are, you know, stopping by the boost. It's very much like you stop by if, there's availability to see pieces cool or if there's even a person to be able to help you uh, grab a piece from the display because sometimes it's really busy and then sometimes it's not so it really is a lot of just kind of looping back and forth checking in with the brands and sometimes you only have the time to see one watch at a time and then you have to go and then it gets too crowded and you've got to come back another time so uh, you know that was only our first day so I'm expecting kind of more of the same where it's kind of you know, a lot of times we'd go to these trade shows and it's, you see the brand and then you're done for the rest of the week. Whereas, you know, I think we'll probably visit a handful of these brands a couple of times just to get hands on with more pieces because of just the way of the flow of people coming in and out.
0: I wanted to mention an interesting element of the show. It's sort of the, almost an anti-Watches and Wonder. And of course there are lots of brands here that also show Watches and Wonders, but... You see, it's not that there's no Richemont, but there's almost no Richemont. For example, a new thing this year is a new structure by Van Cleef and Arpels, which is Richemont, but it's sort of really mostly focused on on the jewelry side, uh, which is actually a growing part of this is there's more uh, jewelry and, and not a lot of women's watches, but definitely more women's watches than before. Because I, I mean, honestly, I, I feel like at least 50% of the attendees are female, like at least 50%. So it, it, I think it is good that there's sort of, you know, more of a diversity there for for different audiences. Um, but I think that other than LVMH, which, you know, thoroughly has an important presence here, I mean, you have, uh, you know, Hublot has its own structure. Bulgari has its own structure. Even, you know, Louis Vuitton is officially showing here. Um, I, I think Tag Heuer even has a little booth in there. But, you know, uh, as far as I can, zero Swatch Group of any kind. Um, and Richmond is, like I said, you know, very, very sparsely represented. And I think there's something really nice about that because you really feel that the Siddiqui family is is running the show. They're doing it their way. And as Ed said, there is a huge emphasis on hospitality and inclusion, service, relationships, making people feel welcome. Um, you know, it really is what the watch buying experience is supposed to be about. And, and some of the contrasts that we've had over the years is that hilarity. And David and I have just endlessly laughed about this, where the whole point of luxury is supposed to be like, come to our store, be treated well, and we're going to make you feel good. If you don't buy something, we're going to make you feel good. Whereas you meet with them on a commercial basis, at a trade show, and like inevitably you feel like crap leaving. <laughs> like like get, getting to the meeting feels awful. After the meeting, you're like, what the hell was that? And so it's always this huge contrast. And here we are at this show, and I think what the Siddiqui family is to try to do is replicate that warm feeling that you're supposed to have in this show and and i think that's why there's a general high level of esteem Mm. being here so david
1: uh live vicariously via ed and ariel who do you want them to go and see uh that's a good question i think
3: uh it's more about the gossip that you can pick up from collectors and people you know like uh retailers the of course uh that, that's what I'm curious about. I think that that's why you know Dubai Watch Week is very special because you have more time, more face time with people. It's less of a rush than Watches and Wonders or Basel would used to be. So it's, it's, it's more about that, I think, than the product itself. But whatever it is that we usually learn at this event, it builds into our coverage. And you will find that sometimes in between the lines, sometimes more openly, either on this podcast or in the articles. So that that's one of the important aspects of, of Dubai Watch Week that I, that I certainly appreciate.
1: Yeah, I'm curious about Grand Seiko, as the yeah, it's it's not quite the odd one out because you do have uh, other brands that are not Swiss based, but you know Grand Seiko are very definitely not even close a, to being. It's a ghost based.
0: town at that booth. I
1: was I was <laughs> curious as to whether <laughs> is 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 it the first time they've been there? Have they been there before?
0: Or? I think they've been here before. I I don't quote me on that, but I mm-hmm. again, there's no. <laughs> there's i mean again there's respect for them here but like this is not a market which is into that at all it seems
1: yeah uh, and you feel that they're because obviously the event is run by a retailer i imagine there's quite a lot of buy-in from the brands the brands are still contributing you know 90 percent of the cost of doing this not necessarily uh or do you think it's a mix that you know, Grand Saker, like, well, why would we go to this or we sell virtually nothing in this area and said, so you know, no, come, let's say, uh, promote your brand. And amongst all these others, this is how you build a brand. Can you tell that a number of these different watch brands are at different stages in their journey within the Middle Eastern market?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely true. Um, some brands here have much more history and therefore more, you know, demand. Um but I mean, look, there's this there's this dream about having your brand in Dubai and having all these you know rich locals buying it and not you know trying to haggle too much about the price. And if there's sort of like a <laughs> a popularity that ensues, you can you can do really well here. Um, it, it's not for every single brand, and of course the market here are into some things, not others. Um, knowing what I know about Grand Seiko, it does not immediately strike me that this is the perfect region for them. But you know, mm-hmm. Seiko in, in Japan has very big expectations for the performance of Grand Seiko, um, and they're pushing very, very aggressively, so I guess they feel like it's in their best interest, but I mean, you don't, I, I, I don't know that, I don't know that Grand Seiko has the right type of, um, outward personality, um, Mm -hmm. that is just, it's just right, it'll, it'll have its moment here, but I'm just saying in the scheme of all the other watches that are competing for attention, um, there's nowhere where Grand Seiko excels. It's not the prettiest, it's not the best-priced, it's not the most innovative, and so there's really no discussion points here. It's like, oh, the Grand Seiko is a perfect watch for you, um, and a lot of that has to do with the open-mindedness uh, of, of, of the consumers here. You know, the, the Grand Seiko's are people who I think uh, are very much into a conservative design, and Like, there's so many other conservative watches here, like a Rolex. And so I think that's really the issue with Grand Seiko right now is they've increased their prices so significantly that the value proposition is no longer their their primary means of, of, you know, popularity. Um, And from a branding perspective, it's just like, we're high-end in Japanese. Uh, Okay, tell me more. We're high-end in Japanese. Uh, Anything else? Well, we're high-end and we're Japanese. Well, okay,
1: so, you know. (laughs) And and this watch should remind you of a snowy mountain. Oh God! Uh, which doesn't really sell. Really, is an image if you live in. The yeah, there's desert, no there's no forests
0: there here. There's no snowy <laughs> mountains. You know, I don't like. understand. I don't
2: understand why they don't. Do, I mean, they could so easily just co op that design language of being inspired by nature and make. Make a desert sand themed Yeah, one hundred percent. The the color of the rain. It's not in, salmon. It's sand, <laughs> or the color of rain in Dubai when it happens. Like you know, it's just <laughs> there's stuff here that they can.
0: It's just uh, been done by so many That's the thing. Like, no, I know, they, but I mean, they have to come in with something new. And Grand Seiko. I think is still struggling to figure with this. Look, commercially speaking, what do they want to do? Make the same watch with slightly different dials so that people feel like there's variety, but ultimately they're making the same watch. The, the, the Japanese industrial mindset is let's make something good and make a huge volume of it. It is not let's make small quantities of things and sell it for a lot. So culturally speaking and commercially speaking, there's a huge conflict, I think, into what Seiko is trying to
1: do. And then the other brand that stands out for me that's there that I'm curious to how they get on is Brement, which... It's very definitely also not Swiss. Ah, but uh,
0: this is why Bremont makes a huge amount of sense here. So, uh-huh. I mean, just think about the number of British people who live in the UAE to work, right? The number of people here who go to England for education or for jobs and things like that. This, there's a lot of Anglophilia. In the culture right. here, and there has been for a long time. So because of the, the the British nature of the brand and the latent anglophilia, which still exists to a high degree, for me, I think that's where the, a lot of the appeal is and why it makes sense.
1: Right, okay. And, you know, you obviously have seen the booth. Does Does it appear busy? Like, is there very obviously a selection of booths that are... Yeah, I mean, look, you know, da- everyone's rushing to the CEO Davide
0: Cerrato mm-hmm. is here, and I've seen him at other other Dubai Watch Weeks when he was he, not not else. in a job or some other thing. <laughs> um, you know, Who I, has been to Dubai Watch
1: Week representing the most brands? <laughs> yeah, it might have been him. Via the various jobs. The funny thing is, oh, his, is his other, not, his other past employees
0: are here. That, you know, our employees yeah, yeah. are here, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, 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 I haven't vis- we haven't visited with him yet, so I haven't had a chance to speak. But th- their booth is no mm. less busy than any of the others. I would say that it's probably, yeah. you know, uh, it, it's, it's unequal territory.
2: And the arrangement of it is such that it is really kind of like a straight line inside. So everyone's kind of mm. just like, going down one end and then coming back the other and they'll stop at the booths that have you know a free spot to actually see stuff yeah totally so it's 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 kind of hard to judge that way
1: so david anything you're particularly looking forward to hearing about you know we're not the show is not going out for a couple of days. Is there anything you know that's coming? Well, I don't know, really. I'm not there. So if I was there, I could <laughs> I'm have I'm just trying to. I, I'm just trying to include you. I know you're sitting in your bedroom in Hungary and all the rest of it, but I'm just, try, just trying to, you know, increase inclusivity in, in, in this show. You know, it's not very well Ed and Ariel living it up while we're sitting in our own rainstorms back here. Well, every every
3: time when I hear the word inclusive with regards to a luxury event, I just roll my eyes. But, uh, you know, let's see how that
1: unfolds. (laughs) Uh, Great stuff. Cool. So what meetings have you got arranged already, gentlemen? What parties are you going to? Anything you are genuinely very much looking forward to seeing?
0: Uh, I have an interview, a podcast interview later today with Mr. Ludwig Oschlin, and I'm really looking forward to that. Hopefully his English is uh, acceptable. Um, and this is an individual who is a mathematician uh, and a watchmaker. And uh, really starting in the 1990s, uh, he was discovered by Rolf Schneider. Um, or maybe it was earlier in the 80s, I think. And yeah, in the 80s, uh, he started was discovered by, by Rolf Schneider, uh, then of Ulysses Nardin, who had purchased it and was the sort of a you know, very charismatic leader for a long time. And I think the first collaboration they worked on was this planetarium Series. It was like a trio of watches, and it was trying to recreate these astronomical clocks. I think they were in Prague or something like that. Um, and he's gone on to make his own brand. But he is, you know, one of those like you know high thinking, you know, scientific and again mathematical uh, designers. Who I think there's a lot of interesting things to talk about. And I remember years ago I had a really great interview with Philippe Dufour, which is here as well. So seeing some of these you know personalities who. You know, are really responsible for creating uh, some of the most important watches that the culture uh, talks about, you can sort of get into their minds um, and, and figure out what's going on here. And it's a very comfortable environment Where isn't like a Watches of Wonders or even a Basel world. It's just too busy, too hectic, and no one's really able to sit there and uh, philosophize.
2: I'm looking forward to our Gerard Perigo meeting just because I really want to see that new Neo Bridges. They debuted it at the event yesterday, but uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to actually see it in person. Jake on our team got to photograph it, so... Uh, I have mixed
0: feelings re- about this.
2: <laughs> you you like you like Neo Bridges in general though, no?
0: I I do. We were at the Gerard Perigo event last night and the highlight was slot car racing. <laughs> so oh, it was a fun. Was, it was a fun it event. It was pretty
2: fun. That was a that was but, a throwback. I mean, look. Who won? Uh
0: well, well when the cars <laughs> stayed on
2: the cars were not always kept on track, so <laughs> some look, of those Gerard. turns got got taken pretty hard. <laughs>
0: Gerard Perrigo has a lot of pride with the relationship with Aston Martin and I agree it's a fantastic thing. I just want to see a little bit more originality. And basically what we see is here's one of our watches with a green tone and we've printed the Aston Martin logo on the back. And But it's green. And, you know, that, okay, okay. I, I wouldn't say green is it's British racing green, David. Let's be
2: specific. Mm. <laughs> it's I
0: I just I want to see them you know, just sort of leaning a little bit more into, uh, the Aston Martin. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, there's risk, there's risk of making weird watches. I just feel that consumers want more than just the logo on there. So I like Gerard Perigo and I actually like that watch a lot. I just feel that, um, despite the impressiveness of the relationship, I'm just not sure if from a product perspective, they've really, uh, leveraged what they can do yet.
2: Okay. Well, anyway, yeah, Rick, I- I'm looking forward to seeing that watch.
0: <laughs> well, when I first saw the photographs
1: of it, I thought it was a boulevard. I thought it was a, a re-edition or a, a, an update of the the space view <laughs> for, for, from the colouring. It was only when I looked at the title of the article I realised it was Gerard Perrigal. Uh, it does look pretty cool, but
0: uh, yeah, I, yeah. The base Aston watch is cool. I just, again, when you yeah. have this collaboration watch, as we talked about, it, both sides need to contribute something. And I don't feel mm. that the Aston Martin side has contributed uh yeah. what, what what people expect you know it has to be something like gerard perigo could have made this exact same colors without the aston martin relationship and so for me it sort of fails the both sides bring something to the table uh formula ed anything
1: else
2: uh, yeah, I need to self-correct myself because I realized I called the Brightling a Nighthawk earlier and it's the night mission and I think I got that mixed up with the Blackbird. Oh, so I'm self-correcting terrible. myself.
1: You 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 are you have to stay in your hotel. For yeah. the the <laughs> <and punishment. laughs> no sushi for you. Um, right. But the other thing is,
2: you know, we've only been here, we're recording this on the morning of day two, so I've only gotten to experience yeah. one full day of Dubai Watch Week. But the one thing I've, I've been struck by is I really appreciate how much more more... more chill it is. Uh, It really is a much more relaxed vibe in in terms of, I mean, there are admittedly just not as much product for us to shoot as far as new releases. So it's not kind of that like rush to get to see the newest, the very newest pieces that the brands are releasing in a year, but um, yeah, I just really appreciate that it's uh, just a lot more relaxed. Uh, We still get to see these watches and we get to interact with people from around the world, uh, which again is kind of not the norm for us other trade shows because we're interacting with brands and uh other media and then you know occasionally retailers but uh to kind of ever for all the the world the different portions of the watch universe to come together and and be at this one event together uh that's a cool thing i think it's pretty unique
1: good good ariel what are you up to next
0: so now that the uh the <laughs> dubai watch week uh, area is is water free um You know, for me, this is very much reminding me of the early years of going to a show like Baselworld where I'm kind of alone with my camera gear and I just bounce around and I meet as many people as possible and people run up to me and say, oh, I have to show you this. And I think it's that discovery. And, you know, the last several years at Watches and Wonders has really been, you know, we have established meetings and sort of as a team, we kind of like, you know, shuffle from one to the other. Um, And we more or less sort of knew what we're going to see. And that sense of discovery um, just wasn't really as much of a part of it. And now that's sort of really returned. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, there's a lot more watches now, a lot more new watchmakers. There's new brands here, people who used to work at other brands that are now doing independent stuff. And so kind of being like that kid who can sort of go around and discover things and, and, and the people who make them are excited to show it to you, uh, that's really where I, I sort of mentioned the invigoration that I felt earlier uh, because you get to be in discovery mode and you get to feel like you get to decide, that's cool, I want to share it with the audience or like, no, no, I'm not going to write about that. Um, and, and I love that feeling. So for me, having a few more days of that is really exciting. Great stuff.
1: Uh, David, what are you up to in your spare time this week? Oh, wow. Well, I'm working on a big one
3: uh, for um, um, Jean Rousseau, the strap maker. We had a bespoke strap project and, um, you know, the strap is finished. It's They, they are, of course, um, uh, one of the... Uh, more important strap manufacturers in the watch industry they supply basically all the big groups at least some brands in the big groups as well as many of the ultra high-end independents and they have this bespoke uh, service where they uh, create like one-of-a-kind straps and there's this cool zodiac here with uh, a dark gray case meteorite dial white markers and some orange accents and uh, we went for a white strap with gray stitching and uh, orange lining and it's uh, it's kind of a blast and I just did a photo shoot on that and just putting the article together, so that's uh, that's basically done.
1: Uh, once uh, yeah. you know, we are off this recording. Exciting! Yes, great. Look forward to that. I, uh, gentlemen, do you expect as we close up today's show? Do you expect to be surprised by anything that happens in the next three days?
0: <laughs> if there's more rain, yes. <laughs> Shocking. <him. laughs> Ed, do you
1: expect anything to surprise you? Or do you think it's going to be fairly conservative and just same old, not same old, same old, but just business as usual? I
2: expect to be surprised by Ariel's change in reaction when he gets to see that Gerard Paragon.
1: Oh, interesting. <laughs> a prediction. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we shall leave it at that. Right, thank you very much for tuning in. Do keep an eye on a blog to watchcom for coverage of any new releases or hands-on from the show. Uh, ed, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram, Edri at Edri R-H-E-E.
0: Excellent, good stuff. Uh, Ariel, where can people find you on the internet? My articles are on the blog dot watchcom In addition to this podcast, the superlative podcast and it is ariel2watch on Instagram.
1: And David, how many underscores have you got in your Instagram account this week?
3: I'm thinking about adding a second and maybe a third one just to, to please the underscore lovers <laughs> next year. We'll see how that goes. Uh, for now, it's abtw underscore just one underscore David.
2: Can you make sure that the underscores when you add the new ones are in just the most bizarre places, like abtw oh, d- I like underscore d underscore David. <laughs> I guess start like with underscores. Start with three, <laughs> so people will be—you just throw people off the trail. They're like,
3: Is start this start the name, name
0: with three underscores, three underscores before <laughs> any letters or numbers
3: that are indiscernible. Like you don't know how many there are. It's just. Oh, that's kind
1: of a yeah. thing, though. People <laughs> so people do that. <laughs> When you, when, you, when you name your first child, David, we expect his name to begin with an underscore. <laughs> Great. Like some sort of Maybe that's going to be his name. His name is going to be underscore. He's <laughs> going to be overscores. <laughs> Overscore. That is our show. Thank you very much for joining us. Tune in again next time. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.